Welcome, and uh, thank you for joining us on Disrupt TV. My name is Vala Afshar, Chief Digital Evangelist at Salesforce and your co-host for the next hour. Uh, please uh, follow us on Twitter at Disrupt TV Show. Send Ray, myself, and our distinguished guest during the live show your questions using hashtag Disrupt TV, and we'll do our best to answer them. It's my pleasure to introduce my co-host, Ray Wong. He's the CEO and founder of Constellation Research, best-selling author of Disrupting Digital Business, regular contributor to multiple media outlets, including Harvard Business Review and ZDNet, and in my humble opinion, one of the best uh, futurists to follow on Twitter, at RWANG0. Welcome, Ray. Lovely shirt to Disrupt TV. Aloha, but I'm actually in San Francisco. So I'm here with my great co-host, Bala Asher. As you heard, he's the chief digital evangelist at salesforce.com, but more importantly, one of the top followers on CIO and CMOs around the world. His tweets are featured almost everywhere and previous contributor Huffington Post, now to ZDNet, and more important, an author himself. But that's not what's important here. What we're talking about today, we're talking about change agent thinkers, very interesting ideas that innovate and transform the world. Who do we have today? as our first guest. Ray, it's an honor for both of us to have Navi Raju, speaker, change agent, Thinkers 50 recipient on our show. Navi is an innovation and leadership thinker and advisor in Silicon Valley. A fellow at Cambridge University's Judge Business School, Navi serves on World Economic Forum's Global Future Council on Entrepreneurship and Innovation. Previously, Navi was vice president at Forrester Research He's a TED speaker. He has won the 2013 Thinkers 50 Innovation Award. He's a co-author of several books, uh, Jargon Innovation, From Smart to Wise, and Frugal Innovation, which we'll be talking about today, uh, published by The Economist. His next books, uh, Conscious Society, Reinventing How We Consume, Work, and Live, will be published next year. So he has to come back. <laughs> I will. <laughs> Please follow Navi on Twitter at N-A-V-I-R-A-D-J-O-U. Welcome, Navi, to the Shrub TV. Thanks for having me. Well, are hey, those man. all those books in the background you've written? You, and no, no, they, you know, they say, they say you have to read 1,000 books to write a book. So uh, <laughs> for the next book, I'm reading 1,000 books. Last three years, I've been reading like uh, almost 600 books, you know, to write the next book. So. Wow. Wow. It's it's a meaty, it's a meaty subject, right? It's about raising human consciousness. So you know, <laughs> so I have to catch up on a lot of you know literature on that topic. So, well, Navi is actually being very very self aware with his books. So, <laughs> but um, but hey, let's start with um, the conversa conversation around Jugat Jugat uh, innovation, frugal innovation, something that you've been talking for quite some time, something that put sure. you on the world stage, uh, and, and you were even talking about that even when we were at Forrester. So talk a little bit about what that is why that's so important today especially given that big divide between and you saw the wall street journal article yesterday right talking about how innovation is captured only by a few companies and that product productivity gains only being captured by the very very few and then everybody else is being left behind in truly a winner takes all market yes exactly so i think the the idea of the frugal innovation let's look at the term right it sounds like an oxymoron that's why it's kind of very interesting because if you look at innovation, you always think, you know, something like an iPhone, which is 600 bucks, this is not very frugal, right? <laughs> uh, when you have 70% of the world population that lives with 10 bucks a day. And similarly, when you think about exactly, when you think about innovation, you think about big R&D labs, you know, billions of dollars in R&D, uh, sending a man to the moon is not cheap. So innovation also requires a lot of resources. 
Um, so frugal innovation is a way of, you know, kind of debunking the myth that, you know, something innovative has to be, you know, expensive. Uh, something uh, innovative can be affordable uh, for the billions of people around the world uh, who can't afford an iPhone. And similarly, um, it's all the idea that, you know, and that connects with your point raised that, you know, we don't need a lot of money to innovate. Uh, because we are seeing the kind of golden age of, you know, where uh, technologies are becoming more and more democratized. So you can use these as building blocks to kind of quickly, you know, come up with solutions. Uh, so it's about saving in money and time uh, to innovate. Um, so actually, I have a product here with me. So I thought I can show that to you as a way to illustrate, you know, what a frugal, you know, product looks like. Let's so. Do it. Right. So the context is this. Uh, there are millions of babies today that are born uh, prematurely around the world. Uh, in the Western world, uh, we keep them in an incubator, as you know, made of plexiglass. Uh, it costs about uh, $20,000 and it requires electricity to operate. Um, so in a poor village in India or Africa, that's a lot of money and they can afford that. So four uh, students from Stanford uh, have come up with this very ingenious solution, as you can see. It looks like a mini sleeping bag. Uh, it's actually a portable infant warmer. Uh, what it does is that inside you have this kind of uh, wax-like material that you can place on a heating pad. It melts like wax and you reinsert that inside and it can keep the baby at uh, constant temperature for six hours straight. Wow. And uh, this simple solution costs only $200. So 1% of the cost of an incubator. And uh, with this very simple solution, they have saved the lives of over 250,000 babies worldwide. Wow. So it shows that something innovative, right, can also be very affordable. Uh, so, so this is a kind of a, a good kind of illustration of the kind of ingenuity, this kind of jugad, you know, which is a Hindi word for the MacGyver spirit uh, that we can use to create a lot of, you know, economic and social value on a shoestring. I wanted to ask something before Vala jumps in on the next question. I wanted to ask something. So established companies are probably not going to do that because it commoditizes their $20,000 innovation. Um, what's to keep them from trying to buy out the market or keep a product um, that's coming from Jugat Innovation to actually get into the market? Do they play dirty? Uh, they tried, uh, you know, through, you know, as you know, in the U.S., there is a sophisticated way of doing it, which is lobbying. Uh, you can do that to regulations uh, or you can do to other means, uh, you know, of course. But lately, we have seen something interesting happening is that, you know, the fact that, you know, companies like General Electric have realized that, you know, 70 percent of the future growth will come from emerging markets, but not only emerging markets. And this is important. Emerging markets is no longer geographic specific. For example, we know that in this country, there are, you know, 65% uh, Americans can find $500 to deal with an emergency, yep. right? Uh, 70 million Americans are underbanked in this country. So the notion of emerging markets no longer applies to Africa or Asia. It applies right here in America as well. So that means that you have this kind of global emerging market of, you know, 5 billion people. So that's a huge market to tap into. So suddenly multinationals like General Electric are realizing that, you know, rather than kind of, you know, trying to you know, uh, get rid of these, you know, nimble innovators, they need to actually jump into that market. And so GE is a good example. They have actually uh, built a whole in the last, you know, 10 years, actually, no, 11 years today, this, this year, over 10, 11 years, they have built a whole new business unit called Sustainable Healthcare Solutions. Uh, 
which is headed by uh, Terry Bressenham uh, from Boston. And what they are doing is they are coming up with these, uh, for example, ECG devices or medical devices that cost five, 10 times cheaper than what exists today. And the timing is perfect because as you know, America is transitioning to a new healthcare model called value-based healthcare. Uh, that's gonna put more and more pressure on providers to you know, reduce the cost of you know, healthcare delivery. So I think to answer your question, I mean, instead of seeing this as a threat, I think this is becoming an inspiration now for multinationals to say, hey, we should challenge our own R&D team to come up with solutions like this because if we don't do that, we are going to be disrupted you know, by these uh, nimble rivals. Sure, sure. I just saw uh, an article from, uh, I think it was World Economic Forum, where Bill Gates talked about we need to, um, we can no longer think about or uh, um, call developing countries versus established. I think it was noted 4 billion people live with less than $8 a day. Um, and, and the principles of frugal innovation, from what I've read from your work in the past, is working with constraints to create more value customers in society and it seems like frugal innovation is about as you said creating high quality solutions that are simple effective and affordable with limited resources and to me it feels like that's just a good i don't know good karma good soul good culture of a company if you're advising ceos are you telling them that frugal innovation is relevant because it just makes your it's it's brand affinity when it comes to companies that are thinking about improving society in an affordable, scalable way. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, I, you know, you have to take people where they are. And I think for, you know, so for some companies, uh, you know, this is about being wise, right? Is depending on where the CEO is in the level of awareness, he or she, uh, I can go with the kind of very business and business kind of argument, which is, look, you know, if you don't do this, you know, you're going to be disrupted, you're going to lose out a big market opportunity. But then there are people like Paul Pullman, the CEO of Unilever, a big yeah. consumer goods giant, uh, who is actually, you know, looking at, you know, uh, this as doing the right thing for society, as well as doing well for the shareholders. You have Larry Fink from, you know, a $6 trillion BlackRock, you know, group, who's also pushing uh, the CEOs of the companies invest in to actually incorporate you know, the social and environmental dimensions into the core business model. So I think the good news is that until now, and that's my excitement, is that for the past 10 years, I've been kind of preaching the desert, so to speak, at least in the US, <laughs> uh, because people looked at it purely to the prism of you know, how can I make money? Uh, but for the first time, you know, with the, you know, the Sustainable Development Goals established United Nations, uh, there is uh, something exciting happening is that uh, the Gen Z, which is the next generation of consumers and employees, as you know, uh, even the Economist just published an article, uh, they actually are looking for solutions that actually have five attributes. Solutions have to be affordable. They have to simplify their lives. It needs to have a sustainable dimension. At the same time, it has to you know, be of good quality. But then there's a fifth variable, which is purpose. So for the first time, purpose is becoming you know, a, a core of the kind of solutions that the Gen Z is gonna be looking for. And so as a result, I think that yes, I mean, for a long time, uh, companies in the US particularly, they were looking at, you know, how can we do innovation primarily to make more profits? But now frugal innovation is a way of having the cake and eat it too. You know, you can kind of do good for the society, but at the same time you can do well for the shareholders as well. 
No, that's wonderful. And as people are looking at jumpstarting growth, this is amazing, right? Now, you also talk about wise innovation um, and smart innovation versus wise innovation. How, how does wisdom have anything to do with innovation here? <laughs> Right. Uh, well, I mean, look at, you know, the kind of, uh, you know, uh, thing happening in Silicon Valley, right? We have, uh, there is a startup that came up with a $400, uh, you know, juice making machine called Juicero. That's awesome. Uh, it raised hundred, you know, $20 million until Bloomberg discovered that, you know, the kind of juice they make is no more effective than just using a manual juicer, right? So that's a kind of aberration that is happening here. You know, there's a kind of over-engineering of, you know, stuff happening here. And so wisdom is actually, definition of wisdom is actually the application of intelligence uh, to serve a larger purpose. So it's about, you know, learning to use your smartness not to get rich, but actually to do good for the society. And this is gonna be important because, you know, there is a whole concept called tech for good, which is gaining traction now, which is how do you harness the power of, you know, technology, not in a self-centered way, you know, to enrich myself, or as you said, for the elite 1%, but actually to do, you know, uh, good for the larger society. And uh, so this is really uh, what I'm looking at, like, you know, how do you, and you see in Silicon Valley, there is a conference called Wisdom 2.0, which, you know, happens once a year now. So I think there is a growing awareness, especially I say that, you know, in the era of artificial intelligence, AI, you can't outsmart AI, but you can outwise it. That means we have to tap into uniquely human qualities like, you know, compassion, ingenuity, intuition, uh, if you want to kind of have a leg up on AI, uh, and so these are the reasons I think that, you know, wisdom becomes important because intelligence, as Buddha said, is a great uh, servant, but a very poor master. <laughs> so uh, wisdom is what allows this intelligence to be channeled as an energy yes. to serve something larger than oneself. That's amazing. You have written, Navi, that, um, you know, when you talk about wise innovators, you said lead with business mind social heart and ecological soul, build platforms that amplify the talent of others. I love that. So you're yep. not just a connector, you're an enabler and co-create value with an ecosystem of partners. So, you know, how do you advise? So again, I'm a Silicon Valley CEO. We, we, we're going to have probably 50 startup CEOs just this year alone on our show. What advice do you give them? as they're thinking about the widget, the gadget, or putting a car in space. <laughs> what advice, without naming names, what, what advice do you give them to wise up? Like, it, it, do, they, do they need to, how do they do that? Do they need to read 600 books like you do? No, uh, no, I, 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 they should read just one book, my next book, which is called <laughs> Friday. But, uh, but I think there are, there, there, are, there, are, <laughs> there are two dimensions, right? For as a CEO of, uh, actually, you know, if, whether it's established, you know, tech company, a big company like yours, or a startup CEO, there are two things to focus on. One is that, you know, one dimension is self-awareness. You need to kind of develop the self-awareness of, you know, who you actually are, you know, what are your kind of, you know, what is your passion, your purpose. And a lot of the CEOs here, they're very smart, but it's baffling for me that how little self-awareness they have, right? Because that's a problem with the, you know, being intelligent is that, you know, the intelligence is always outward-looking, yeah. right? Because it looks and senses, to make sense, right? That's what it is. about making sense of the outside world, opportunities, threats, but doesn't turn the gaze inward, right? That's why, you know, things like and mindfulness. You can do this. You can develop self-awareness. Does it come from being how you were parented, the schools you went to? I mean, is it a function of your environment for 
first half or first third of your life? Or have you I, no, I, I think you, you Salesforce, I'm not saying it because you work for Salesforce, but you are actually showing how it works, right? I mean, the new, you know, uh, tower, Salesforce tower, right? I visited, you know, recently, you know, every floor has a meditation room. Yeah. So you can actually dedicate, see, my, my, think about what it is. It's about finding time for yourself to go with it. That's what it comes down to. And you can do that any age, <laughs> right? You don't have to be trained. You know, I was trained in yoga early on, but we can be 40, 50. But if you can kind of quiet down the mind and still the mind and find that space, you know, where you achieve that stillness within, things will reveal itself, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so it can be done at any age. So that's the first dimension, which is self-awareness. The second dimension is, you know, like a litmus test. Any innovation I'm making, uh, to what extent is it going to have a larger impact? And, uh, and here, I, you know, before I forget, I do want to give the example of one person in Silicon Valley who is my inspiration, and that will answer your question as well. Uh, his name is uh, Bo Shao. Uh, oh, he, Bo. Uh, you, know, you know, probably, you know, you know, both of you know him, but uh, he actually has started his, uh, you know, he, he brought Matrix partners to China. Uh, he's a billionaire, actually. Uh, but he had a change of heart. Uh, he realized that he was rich, but uh, his spirit was impoverished. And so he started this uh, foundation called Evolve Foundation, where they set up a $100 million uh, accelerator. It's called the Conscious Accelerator. And they invest only in startups that meet one litmus test, is that any innovation they develop needs to improve human conditions. Wow. That means, you know, reduce loneliness, you know, help people find purposefulness, uh, things like that. So he's not interested in investing any startup, as he says, that simply bring more convenience to people. That's what's happening. Right now, we have achieved a level of material convenience. And uh, as my spiritual guru says, we keep raising the bar on survival. <laughs> so it feels like we always need more, right? But it's not really bringing happiness. So those no. companies are, you know, focusing, for example, of building like, you know, uh, mindful parenting. So technology can be an incredible tool, sure. but can be directed to help people cultivate that self-awareness, uh, become a better parent. Uh, for example, they also teach uh, incarcerated individuals uh, new skills so that you know, they can learn new competences so that when they get out from jail, they can find a new job. So this is how I think technology can be used. Uh, so to answer your question, you know, it's about cultivating self-awareness and also realizing that you know, we have this incredible power now with technology to make meaningful change uh, in the world. Wow. You know, we got to get Bo on the show. I mean, his, his talk about suffering and suffering caused by external circumstances is huge. Yes. So, hey, Navi, I, I want to make an announcement here on the show, if that's okay with you. Sure, uh, sure. So we'd love to have you on day one. I think I hadn't officially sent you the contract, but you are okay. going to be our keynote speaker on day right. one at Connected Enterprise okay. on October uh, 23rd. So that's I want to announce it. Uh, awesome. Talk whatever you want and any of these three things. I want to congratulate you, but uh, you know. I would be happy uh, to be there. Thanks for inviting me. Quite some time and we wanted to get back to you. So officially, congratulations. Welcome to Thank you very much. An amazing choice. Amazing, amazing choice. Amazing. You guys also inspired me. So thank you so much. All right. Well, hey, Navi Raju, live from Silicon Valley, speaker, change agent, and thinkers, 50 star. More importantly, you can follow him at Navi Raju on Twitter, uh, one of my former colleagues and someone I always aspire to be. So thanks a lot, Navi. Thanks, Ray. Thank you very much. Thank you, sir, Navi. Thank you. Wow. I, Ray, we could have talked an hour. I mean, we will. We will. I connected. An amazing, he's brilliant. He really is. He's uh, amazing. He's amazing. You know, I got to start reading more. I mean, I'm not even close to... Uh, I'm not even close to 600, you know. Uh, I'm, I'm happy if I can get maybe 30, 40 books under my belt. 
Reading, so, reading is important. And, and part of that is making sure you have the right book. And you know, a lot of that comes out to uh, you know, who your author is and where you are. So who do we have next? Speaking of right book. <laughs> so I may not read 600, but the ones I do read are really good. Uh, <laughs> our, our next guest, and we're honored to have Gene Bliss, Chief Customer Officer and Author at, 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 at Customer Bliss. Gene pioneered the role of Chief Customer Officer. So when I was appointed Chief Customer in 2012, the, it was Gene's thinking and guidance that helped me shape my company. She holds the first ever CCO role for over 20 years at Land's End, Microsoft, Caldwell Banker, Allstate Corporation. Reporting to each company CEO, Gene moved the customer to, uh, to strategic agenda, creating transformational changes for each brand and the customer experience. Gene has driven achievement of 95% loyalty rates. Again, as business leaders, it's amazing uh, outcomes, improving customer experiences across 50,000 plus person organizations. She's now the president of Customer Bliss, where she guides leaders around the world on how to earn business growth by improving customers' lives. She's a worldwide keynote speaker, author of four best-selling books, including the one I'm holding now, Would You Do That to Your Mother? Uh, the Make Mom Proud Standard for How to Treat Your Customers. I raised reading it twice. Yeah, right. <laughs> Two books. You must follow Gene on Twitter at J-E-N-N-E-B-L-I-S-S. Welcome, Gene, to Disrupt TV. Thanks. Hi, you guys. Nice to see you. Nice Happy Friday. Welcome to Disrupt TV. Thank hey, you. I've been following you for a decade or more at CRM uh, Evolution, at these, all these great conferences, mm -hmm. you know, and this is like, this thing's the culmination of all your work is in here. It right? really this is. is. It and really so, but, but why do you write this book now? What, what, what is this purpose? What's going on with the CX explosion that's happened oh in our- Oh my gosh. Well, you know, it's funny because I say, I feel like it took me 35 years to write this version of the CX book because- you know, the chief customer officer books and my other book, I Love You More Than My Dog, was... <laughs> that was a good <laughs> I know, what's up with these titles? Um, I needed to, to prove to people there was a path. You know, like you said, Vala, there's a path, there's a methodology. But you guys know CX is exploding. And with the explosion, we can walk away from why we're doing this work in the first place, which is to improve lives. And so this is a little bit of tough love wrapped in velvet to tell the story of our lives as customers and give people 32 toolkits that they can go and execute now because we are still suffering as customers on basic things. You know, Ray, stuff we've been talking about for years is still defining the fabric of our lives. So that's why. And I also, you know, we wanted to have a metaphor. Would you do that to your mother? So do you, do you like the cover? It's so much fun. Is that your mother or? No, no, that's a Getty image. <laughs> it looks like a Getty image. I just want to make sure. I, I don't know. I was trying to figure yeah. out. I mean, no, it, you know. but my mom and my grandmas are in the book. Yeah. Here, I'll show you. I, see. Um, I saw that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So here, here's my mom and yes. uh, my two grandmas. I love, but, the, I love the cartoons in each chapter. They're, they're really, uh, we, I think we process images 60 times faster than text. We do. Cartoons that you have like. Get Kaboom! Set the thesis for the chapter. Come on, these are great. There's 32, <laughs> yeah. there's 32 the case studies problem. in the book, and each case study has, you know, the mom's lens. Right. Uh, so in, 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 this connect, in, in this age of the connected customer, where, you know, conveniences do matter, and 
and, and you are now more empowered, you have more knowledge, um, again, in this hyper-connected economy, it, you get a sense that the customer experience is the product, or it's as, as important as the product or the service that you've developed. So, you know, what, in the 32, is there a common thread in the 32 cases, uh, case studies, in terms of advice you would give to chief customer offices and how they need to think like doing their mom proud when they design processes and deliver goods and services to consumers. You bet, and it, it actually runs all the way through it, Vala. And what I wanted to do with this book also was make this accessible to every level of the organization because you know, at, at the front line, you may not be able to change the policy, but you can readjust your attitude and how you deliver either good or bad news by saying, hey, would I deliver it in that way to your mom? You know, do you want to be a policy cop? In the middle of the organization, as you all know, that's where we're creating the sp spaghetti bowl of complexity for our customers because we're protecting our KPIs, our silos, our yeah. red, yellow, and green dots, yet we're not delivering an experience that's right for the customer necessarily. And at a leadership level, it's about, you know, do you really want to make your growth from gotcha moments, fine print, extra policies and services that get you money in your pocket initially, but are gonna lose it long-term. So in the, in the way that I wrote it, Vala, to answer, answer your question, the whole idea of high tech and high touch coming together is very, very critical. Because at the end of the day, yes, we have technology, but who are we serving? Humans with emotions and needs. And so the four chapters are organized really around the four areas of our lives. The, and, and you know, I got to use momisms, right? Be the person I raised you to be is all about enabling your employees to bring the best version of themselves to work. So how do you hire? Do you enable them to be memory makers by giving them the time, the customer information, and letting golden, the golden rule and policy collide? Or, you know, how many, how many times have you, you know, you, you guys both fly a lot. Do, do you really feel like those gate agents have the ability to, to practice wiggle room because they know who you are as a customer, right? You're dealing with policy cops. Well, how does it make them feel? <laughs> no, and it's true. And I love your thing. Like I, one of these is take the high road and if yeah. folks can actually read this, you know, I, I love this one, right? This is the one where you go out and you say, hey, honor customers as assets, assets. right? And, and that's important, right? I mean, customers, I mean, you don't want to treat them like disposable items. These are people that's right. that come back. These are people with relationships, with feelings. Tell me more about that. I mean, taking the high road. There's a lot, a lot, of, a lot of great insights on taking the high road here. You bet. You know, that, that chapter was challenging to write because that's, that's one. this is a leadership message, right? Are you honoring customers as assets? That's uh, about how many times have we gotten offers that we see that are better for, for, their, for the new customers than for your existing customer base? And that's really how you're going to grow. Do you have clarity of purpose? The case study in there is REI, closing on Black Friday, right? I mean, that is totally divergent from what most retailers do, but yet it has grown them. Um, do, you, do you grow from nickel and diming? Virgin Hotels, which has skyrocketed as one of the number one hotels in the United States and Condé Nast and everywhere, they're now exploding, got rid of the minibar pricing. They call it street pricing. Yep. They don't charge for room service. You know, it's all of these things that create gotcha moments or the imbalance between a customer, you know, and then, then the comics and the mom things prod you on, you know, would you, would you push your mom into a dark room, negotiate with her for hours, give her fuzzy math on her trade-in, 
and then, you know, send her on her way with, with a car that she couldn't afford. No, but that's how we sell, right? Everything is internally driven. Again, not necessarily on purpose, but it's the way that we end up leading organizations. So that's really what High Road was supposed to be addressing. And eight case studies in each one, yep. really to give people the ability to get on with the work. We, you know, do you guys agree that this customer experience, as much as it's an explosion, it's also become overcomplicated and we run the risk of it turning into accounting? Yeah. No, I mean, it's, 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 everything's an MPS score. Everything's this tracking. And, and you're right. the the begging for scoring, right? Or begging for yeah. feedback. I mean, it's getting annoying, right? Like, I, everyone, get, right? like I get that all the time. And they're not even discreet about it. Yesterday, the, uh, and I won't mention the industry or the company, but the <laughs> agents on the phone said, you know, uh, you'll get a survey from us. And <sighs> it only matters if you give me a nine or a 10. Right. And, and I understand that promoter. I'm like, so <laughs> you're like explicitly giving me a choice of nine or 10, even though it's a 10 scale survey that I'm going to That's receive. right. Well, so, and, that's the, and that's in that first chapter, in that first big chapter around, you know, enabling people to be the best version of themselves. When you force people to beg for scores, right. how does it make them feel? And are you really raising the water level of the skills right. And the ability in your inside of your organization, or are you just begging for scores? Right, yeah. right. This can't be a marketing exercise where you get a good score, you pop it on your website, and you pound your chest. Meanwhile, right. your competitor that's actually delivering a better experience is taking market share from you. That's uh, exactly right. So that's why I think employee, you know, you guys talk about this. We're not calling customer experience CX anymore, but rather X, because there is customer and employee experience have got to be connected. What's on the inside shows up on the outside and it really needs right, right. to be a complete attention of, of the organization. So and I thought that needed to be the first chapter. And you summarize beautifully at the end, uh, a section about stopping shenanigans mm. and, and perhaps a litmus test, or as Navi said in the previous segment, an opportunity for you to self reflect and That's ask, right. what should I stop, start, and continue doing in order to build a world-class experience? Um, what, are there some favorite shenanigans that, you, you know, <laughs> if, if you're one minute in front of a, a group of chief customer officers, in that one minute, what are some of the shenanigans that you think most of them need to consider stopping? Well, you know, are you running your company on customer time or your time? You know, are you honoring customers as assets? Um, mm -hmm. Are you nickel and diming your customers? Are you starting with the life or your paperwork in your process? And though that's why what I really wanted to do with this book is there's 32 case studies and it was cool listening to Navi because I call the mom question a conscience question, right? Wow. I started my career at Land's End a million years ago and we were growing 80% a year and Gary Comer, the founder said, you are the conscience of our company because we were growing so rapidly but it's hard to find that navigation system in our organization. So throughout the book, the mom lens, like you mentioned, um, is, the, is the conscience question. But then at the end, you've got this stop the shenanigans quiz. And, you know, of course, we had to have fun with it, too. So you've got an evaluation and then a make mom proud meter at the bottom of each where you can audit where you are. That's awesome. Yeah, there you go. Did it's you awesome. like that? Is there an online version of this as well? As you aggregate responses? What? 
Is there an online version of this as well? So people can just aggregate all the responses? As I'm well? building it now. <laughs> yeah. I'm, it's, it took, this book took me about two and a half years to write because I of know, all... you were quiet for two years. We're wondering that, what's going on. Yeah, that was me writing and the cartoon. And then, you know, I had to write all the cartoons and all the other stuff. So it took a long time to put it together. And, and now I'm going to get that, get, that, get that out there. You're is right. There, is there a company you fell in love with during the process of writing the book where you thought, you know what? These people just get it. Well, there were companies all, yeah, I mean, curating the stories was amazing. There's a company in the first chapter called Be the Person I Raised You Be, Pal's Sudden Service. Did you read that one? It's a hamburger and hot dog stand in Tennessee. They have 27 locations. Now, this is a, a company that has won a Malcolm Baldridge Quality Award for wow. efficiency. It's a hamburger and hot dog stand. But what they also have done, which is what the best companies do, is they hire deliberately. They hire the human, the light behind the eyes, not just the technical skill first. And they put these young kids through a 60-point psychometric survey, answering questions like, in general, I feel pretty good about myself. I believe I should trust everybody I meet. I think raising my voice will get more attention. And like the best companies, Southwest, Container Store, you know, the ones we love, they've been very deliberate about deciding who's going to be inside of that, you know, the, the place where they serve, it looks like a big hamburger or hot dog on the outside, but they have only lost seven general managers in 33 years. They've grown wow. 360% since they began. Their wow. turnover rate is one third the average in their industry. And it starts with who you hire. Yeah. And so I love that because they were un an unexpected. What I wanted to do through the book was curate for you stories. Um, you know, a, a great story, for example, about the uh, chapter in New York, um, one of the boroughs in New York decided to figure out how to create a Girl Scout chapter for the homeless girls. And, and that's in the chapter called Put Others Before Put Yourself, before which yourself. is designing for the life, not necessarily for our, our internal. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that was important as it was curating the stories was to pull us in as human beings into the lives of customers. Yes, this is commerce, but are we doing our business in the right way? Are we doing our business in a way that draws us back to the values that we know that would, you know, yes, make mom proud, but, but make ourselves proud too, right? Reach that conscience question. You know, yeah, that's one big part is that employee experience. And I, I got you were on with Dr. Janice earlier. She talks a lot about getting the right teams in place. We'll be talking a little about that and more. Uh, but one of the interesting things about that is, is for the for, for this Palson service, they have positive energy. Right? Yes, that positive totally energy do. is something that's really important uh, that emanates from not just the employees, but then into the lives of the customers. And that employee experience is becoming just as important as that customer experience. It and is. I noticed that in a lot of the case studies that you have, you talk about that human component. So yes. go deeper into that a little bit. You bet. Well, you know, it's interesting. The second chapter is called Don't Make Me Feed You Soap, which is about, you know, we get to use the momisms about getting rid of the friction that exists in our lives as customers. And, um, you know, I love the story about Danny Meyer. You all know him. He runs the Union Square Hospitality Group. He's one of the great restaurateurs in the world. And he hires his um, people according to what he calls a hospitality quotient, which is once you meet these requirements as a human, then we're going to look at your skill. But then what they also do is they blend high tech only to enable and to rise the level of humanity. 
So for example, what I love that he talks about, which is there's two reasons why people in his restaurants wear Apple watches. Number one, the sommelier, so he can be pinged to know when to go top off people's wine. And number two, the valet, so that as you're paying your bill, he's pinged to bring the car around. That's awesome. Right? And what that's enabling humanity. You start with the life, start with the emotions, and then use that technology to enable, but but make sure you start with the right people over and over and over again. It you're right. It's a it's it's the interconnected thread all throughout this. So you spent two years writing the book. There had to be an aha moment where you're like, wow, this changes my perspective or I didn't really think about this when I was the chief customer officer of successful companies. Is there, uh, you know, a moment of truth or insight that was completely net new to your experience of running these incredibly successful companies as a CCO? Uh, You know, it was interesting because the CCO work is very, very important around embedding these disciplines inside of an organization. But what, what I know and what I'm talking about and working with people more and more is the underbelly work, the culture of the organization, the humans, enabling people to bring the best version of themselves to work and that human spirit. Now that's going to occur. You know, you can't say to a frontline person, do the right thing. You have to get rid of the policies that pen them in. You have to give them the time. You have to be fearless to give them the lifetime value of a customer so they can make the call when one of your best customers is asking for an exception so that they can grow that customer asset much more than a blanket rule that we're creating in some executive committee meeting. And that's really, thank you for asking that, why I wrote this this way, to keep nudging you, as my Italian grandma would say, back to the humanity and back to examining how you do your, your work, why you do your work, and how you lead people to yep. be the best version of themselves because the best companies keep the best people because we have spirit. There's what I call congruence of heart, how mm-hmm. we were raised and habit, what we're enabled to do inside the companies that we work for. Wow. And now Gene, where are you speaking next? What's on your agenda? I know it's summer. What's coming up in the fall? What's hot on your list? I am speaking at a variety of conferences next week. I'm actually going out to do a thing with Forbes. They, they did a, um, a, a new thing that's about reinventing customer experiences. So we're going out for that. Then I'm doing um, a bunch of client projects. I've been all over the place with the uh, work. I'm doing the, um, no, I need to send you a list. I, the uh, customer think work. Then we're doing the, um, Oh my gosh, I have to send you a list. I apologize. I've, awesome. I've, I've had a, it is amazing. a crazy conference season coming up once uh, August is a little bit over. Yes, it's yes. Happening. There's about six or seven conferences that are coming up very shortly. And thank you. And thank you so much for educating Salesforce customers and trailblazers. I know, you know, we come to you for incredible thought leadership in this space. So I really appreciate that. You're oh, all- you're welcome. I am doing several Salesforce executive evenings as well. We went in and filmed in your wonderful studios. I felt like I was in the forest. Um, did, that, did that recently. Welcome we just, to the park. I just, I, yes, I just did a customer contact world in Las Vegas. We had 3,000 call center and contact people um, there. So there's there's been a variety of conferences and, and many, many more coming. We'll get the book. Gene Bliss, Chief Customer Officer and Author at Customer Bliss. 
Would you do that to your mother? So call her on Jean Bliss, J-E-A-N-N-E-B-L-I-S-S on Twitter. And more importantly, thank you for being on the show. Happy Friday. Thank and, you. Uh, Happy Friday, you guys. Thanks for having You're me. Terrific. Have a great weekend. Thanks, you Thank too. Another person we can spend an hour speaking with. You know, oh, like, my. It's yeah, <laughs> amazing. Just awesome. Just awesome. Well, definitely um, a legend in her own right. And uh, definitely been on this uh, customer CRM journey for quite some time. I remember seeing her speak uh, so many times. But hey, who do we have here? Hey, <laughs> Listen, when I say one of my favorite people is Dr. J, people think it's Julius Irving of Philadelphia NBA, but we have the, the real Dr. J on from our Philly. Show. From Philly. <laughs> yeah, from Philly as well. Actually, originally from New York, but. <laughs> and thanks for giving me two fantastically difficult acts to follow, guys. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, if there's anyone that can, uh, this is called the cleanup hitter spot, so where we expect the grand slam. But uh, we have Dr. Janice Presser, founder CTO of Teamability. Dr. Dr. Janice is known on Twitter, Cora, Constellation Orbits, uh, as Dr. J, Dr. J. And she has her own blog, drjaniceprester.com. It's been telling stories, and more important, helping people tell their stories for over 30 years. Obviously, Dr. J started when she was 10. In, in 2001, Dr. J began development of teamability, the first technology to describe and predict how people work together. It's currently being used in organizations, global organizations, startups that are on their way becoming unicorns. So it's all size clients where they leverage understanding of how to select and develop employees, how to improve culture, as, as well as operations of a business. So everything we talked about in the first two segments, well, let's say you philosophically agree with it, but now you want to do it. This is where you go to learn how you can achieve that. Her work is, is, is in progress on the why of our stories, the motivation, the collaboration, the reasons behind the reasons. And we're going to talk about that uh, as, as, as we go. You can follow Dr. J on Twitter at D-R-J-A-N-I-C-E. Welcome, Dr. Janice, to Disrupt TV. I feel like I'm home. This is great. <laughs> hey, welcome to the show. I feel like I had dinner with you last week. And, uh... I think we did. <laughs> so, but, uh... While I do have a few other uh, speaking engagements, um, thanks to Westwood One, shout out. I'm doing podcast movement next week here. You know I cannot wait for <laughs> Constellation Connect oh. Enterprise 18. My Unbelievable. Yeah. Well, Dr. Janice is one of the few people that has been to almost every, well, you've been to every, every single one. one of CCE. So one of the rare feats, we've got about seven people uh, that have that distinction. So, and you've seen us actually make that shift as we've gone through the different years. And uh, one of the big shifts that are happening right now is shifts in digital transformation, right? People are like, okay, it's time to do it. We're all ready, right? Let's go. But what's required to ensure that the teams are ready, they're high performing and they're functioning. Well, that goes back to what Ray has always called the digital artisans. So, you know, up at the top, we come up with these brilliant visions and plans, and we really want to do it because what could be bigger, bigger and cooler than a digital transformation? But unless we have people on the team who live and breathe their digital artisanship, which means that they probably are not thinking of long-term plans, of you know, strategies, of anything like that. They are the makers, the people who want to do it. And one of the difficulties for executives is that they're not like us. 
They're completely different. What drives them, what, their why, their whole why of their being is different. And so if we try to hire in our image and we ask the wrong questions, you know, about what they are, then we don't get anywhere. But if we can just get people whose desire to serve something bigger, what Navi was talking about, how do you serve something bigger than yourself? Not being the boss, although, you know, most people want to have a say over what they do, but being able to do what gives you that satisfaction, that reason for being, and then respecting them for it. You know, please don't tell them they're not good because they can't write a strategic plan, but they can solve the problem that's getting in everybody's way of doing a good job. You know, please value them for that. And, uh, and then we can des actually design teams that will work. You know, I, and I particularly love tech teams because, you know, I wrote my first line of code back in high school. And, um, yeah, and, 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 you know, I'm one of the few... Um, technology architects and female. Sure, sure. So what are the, some of the key, can you talk to us about key factors? What makes a great team? When you, when you use the word team ability, depending on the persona or the experience, age, education, how do you, how do you, what are, are they, are they key factors that you use to make sure there's a good fit? Yeah, it's, uh, it's the Intel inside. It's not, and we're at the beginning of teamability, which is, it's a technology not based in anything psychological, no psychometrics, not that it's based in systems. I'm a system scientist, uh, systems and physics. Uh, what you really are looking for is what the, first of all, what does this team need? An executive team is not like a development team. They're very different. The purpose is different. Their why is different. And so they have different needs. And then what we need to do is find out from the people them, who you're thinking of putting on this, what is your why? When you get a matchup, that's step one. Just do that. Second important thing um, is, you know, in physics, we refer to it as coherence, but you might think of it as kind of flexibility. Do you like to be highly, highly focused? I do. And that's why I love being, start, you know, startup is fine. It's not stressful at all. In fact, I'm bored with the other kinds of things. But for many people, that, you know, stress and ambiguity and business uncertainty does not fly. So they will do so much better work on a very strong team in a very supportive environment with somebody who really takes care of them. And then they can shine and they Many are the digital artisans that we really need. Uh, and they'll do that work and you can just coordinate it and uh, put it together with everything else and keep them happy. And they won't leave, actually, if they're feeling like they've got a place. And the third big thing, which is a, a very large area, covers a very large area that teamability measures, uh, are what we call teaming characteristics. There are tens of thousands many tens of thousands. Wow. And they're like from kind of micro fitting. So, you know, you could love doing something, whatever it is, contributing in one way and do it fabulously in one environment, in one company. Um, and then, you know, you, you get offered a raise and you cross the street for another company and you think it's the same culture uh, because, you know, teamability and teamability, uh, your age, your race, your gender and your nationality don't matter. 
inside doesn't have a gender, an age, a nationality, uh, or race, uh, you may be miserable in that other environment for things that aren't about you. It's not about the company. It's just about the what's going on between. That is, you are not co-creating a wonderful story together. Wow. I mean, these are very interesting factors. And so how you might do in one company is not going to be how you do somewhere else because the overall teaming environment is different. Yeah, there aren't great people and miserable people. There are just people who are in a perfect environment for them and they can do their very best work, uh, be wow. great team members and go home and enjoy the rest of life. So it's not just uh, looking about the individual. You also have to look about the environment and the teams yeah. within that individual in order to be successful at creating the right teams. Completely. Completely. How often, no. how often do you have to refine the algorithm? You heard Navi talk about, for example, Gen Z really seeks purpose as a, 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 a North Star for them to align themselves with a brand or an organization. So we, we just heard, you know, size of the company may play a role in terms of I, I identifying the optimal team ability uh, score or, or fit. But how often are you thinking about modifying the algorithm given the changing dynamics of people's expectations and goals and you know, whatever the traits are that you're looking, looking at? Well, it actually doesn't work like that. So okay. that's, that, that's in the secret, the secret sauce. Okay. Uh, when, when, you, when you wrote your first line of code in machine language, you think about these things differently. So that's a completely different mm -hmm. thing. Um, but it's the same in, in teamability, you're having an experience, you're actually co-creating a story with a stable set of what I like to think of as my little silicon-based life forms, my little silicon babies. And uh, you get to store in with them in a series of 10 movies and it's measuring various things about you. But it's after that, that you can apply it in any situation. So you can actually retrofit and look at somebody who hasn't been happy at anything, or maybe it's your kid who's uh, getting ready to graduate high school or college and thinking about what should they go into. Okay. And you can help, think, help them think through in what way would I be interacting with people in the performance of something and, and how can I adjust the way I love to do that uh, in order to have a satisfying life? You know, you can be in sales and it's very different if you're selling widgets uh, or you're selling uh, advisory services or you're selling something sort of in between like, you know, Salesforce. Part of it is kind of concrete. It's tracking your sales and things like that. But then there's this whole other abstract part of how are we going to use this for thinking through our future and, and the analytics and things like that. So teamability is adding a whole new bunch of analytics into somebody's analytics process. Uh, so, you know, for instance, it's, it would be interesting to look at teamability versus how sale, people are using Salesforce in different sales environments. Wow. You know? That would be actually very interesting. And hey, you actually also wrote something interesting that, that kind of takes people to a different dimension. You recently wrote a blog post on whether or not you're taking any prisoners, right? Um, what's that all about? What's the genesis behind that blog post? So I blog out of my own fun experience. And that came about when somebody talked me into going into one of these investor things. Now, yep. we do have, we have investors, but they actually found me. 
Oh. Um, and I, yeah, I never did a dog and pony show and 19 of the most fabulous people in uh, just about on this planet, uh, some of it through word of mouth, um, it, you know, found, found us and became uh, small investors. Um, but this was one of those dog and pony show places. And I got in a conversation and, um, at, and at the end of it, it was clear that they did not understand where I was coming from. So for me, for me, you know how they ask you, you know, would you rather be king or rich? Yeah. This is my, my way. I want my customer to be king. Okay. I want my investors to be rich. Okay. I just want to change the world. <laughs> That's yeah. all. That's all. I just want to change the world. And for me, the rest of that stuff follows. Um, you know, um, my other great inspiration, you know, Cindy Lauper. Girls just want to have fun. <laughs> Even the, even the techie ones, I, you know, there are things that rise above and maybe that's um, being very philosophical, but I was then, uh, uh, what was said of me was, well, it was, uh, <laughs> sure, sure. No, no, this is who I am. What you see is what you get. And so throwing shiny beads at me, like, well, if, you know, you let us do this, right. we'll get you this. Um, unless that's a motivator for me, and that's my whole new area of work. And by the way, that's what I'm planning to uh, speak about at CCE this year. So, little hint: I just finished the I just finished the text yesterday. Oh wow! Um, yeah, that's uh, and a book may come out of that. Who knows? When, not when I hear people talk about two or three years. Too much time for that. Mm -hmm. uh, but you know, take no take no prisoners live the life that you want. If you're miserable at your job, it's not you and it's probably not them. It's somewhere in that space between. Well, let's, we, let's talk, go ahead, Greg. Oh, go ahead, good. Let's talk about storytelling and, and the power of understanding the why. Uh, it was Steve Jobs who said the most powerful person in business is the storyteller. So can you tell us what about the why and the motivation? Where are you researching and what's the thesis around the importance of storytelling? Ah, the importance of storytelling is that it's your story. And, for, and, and this is uh, actually how team ability works is you are creating a story with other people. Whenever you tell a story, it's not just you. You go deep, of course, to become more honest about what's going on with you. It's very difficult to do without help, by the way. And uh, when, you're, when you're telling a story, if you're not engaged, if your audience is not feeling it, if they're not resonating with something in it, then you're not doing anything. So if you're doing it well, you're actually always telling a story with your tribe. Right, right, right. You know, they elicit from you, you elicit from them, and we meet in the middle. Uh, that's why, uh, that's, you know, that was kind of the why of teamability, uh, because, you know, we, uh, after all the years of research, we knew if we asked people directly, we'd get some version of their reality, but yeah. we wouldn't get the real of what happened between people. And so that's why physics and systems theory Got it, got it. Well, that's a great point. Now, storytelling and employee experience, so storytelling and performance. What's the time back to that as, as you are putting together all your thoughts on the next book? Oh, God. Um, so much. I mean, there's so, it, 
my uh, my blog writing, which you can all read on my Constellation Orbits uh, page, has gone in a lot of different directions because yeah. everything that we do is about people and what's going on between people. So uh, my performance evaluation thing, I usually get beat up on from uh, by um, HR folks, but you know, please think about this. Nobody likes performance evaluations. Nobody wants to be evaluated. Nobody wants to do it. Nobody wants to fill out those bingo cards. And worst, you have to give everybody a nine or a 10, right? Or that doesn't count. And so everyone is miserable. Nobody, no one's ever happy. I have a different version. This is my performance evaluation. You sit down with the person and you ask three simple questions. One, are you doing enough of the stuff that you like? Two, are you doing too many things that you don't like? And three, what can we do together to make that better? You know, sometimes people have said to me, sometimes when I speak, you know, it's, uh, they're particularly where there are HR people or the ones who own a very complex process about evaluating people. Um, they'll kind of whine at me something like, but everybody has to do something they don't like. No, they don't. Just look at your, what is your, your business unit, your team have to accomplish? There's a lot of things, right? You could probably list them. If you just matched up every task with the person who would love it the most. Everybody would love everything they did. It would be so easy. And of course, the, not the corollary, but the, the logical follow through is that if you want to have a happy personal life, and I bet you guys have done this, but this is the secret. Uh, you know, tasks, well, the housework, whatever has to be done um, through history has been divided in different ways. You don't have to do it the way your parents did. Nothing bad will happen, I promise. Instead, make a list of everything that has to be done. And it's, you know, some things are similar. Uh, you know, I guess in Ray, Ray's house, charging up the car is probably a big one as opposed to getting gas. And, uh, you know, and, um, uh, and everybody pick the stuff that you like doing. There are people who like doing certain things. Then look at the stuff that you don't mind doing, you know, of the stuff that's left. And when you get down to the stuff that you both absolutely hate doing, hire somebody else to do it. And you'll have a happier relationship. And when you know when you're happier at home, you're happy, you take that attitude into work. Sure. So the people you manage will be happy. And when they're happy, they'll go home. And instead of kicking the cat or picking a fight with the person who loves them the most in this world, they'll bring happiness there. You know, world peace can't some, be behind. Well, some comments from the board here. Love the team ability movement, changing the world from Tom, one team at a time. Not sure who Tom is, but if you might know. I don't know either, but, <laughs> but he loves the movement. We were actually happy in there. You are going to be at the uh, podcast movement, July 23rd. 23rd through 25th in Philadelphia. It's only a couple of days away. When are you speaking? Uh, the after, late afternoon of the Wednesday. It's the Westwood One panel, and it's got Opie on it, and it's got, oh yeah, it's got uh, Tim, Tim Sabian. Uh, it's got some pretty heavy hitters, so I'm going to be in uh, some fun uh, company, and you know, there's nothing more fun than hanging with people who are fun. 
All okay. right, live, live in Philly. You can follow live. Dr. Janice Presser, founder and CTO at Team Ability. And more importantly, you can follow her on Twitter at Dr. Janice. Thanks a lot for being on the show. And of course, seeing you at Constellation Connected Enterprise, October 22nd through 25th. Yes. Thank you, Dr. J. Happy Friday. Thanks a lot. Bye, guys. All right. Episode 114. Oh my God, we're out. We're all done. It's a Friday and we're all done. Time has flown. But we've got 115 coming up, equally, equally packed. And it's back to healthcare and going through some interesting healthcare areas. Who do we have on next week's show, episode 115? We have three extraordinary healthcare thought leaders, practitioners, experts, executives. We have Sarah Richardson, CIO at Healthcare Partners. We have Neil Gomes, Chief Digital Officer at Thomas Jefferson University and Jefferson Health. And lastly, we have Aaron Miri. Uh, he's currently CIO at a stealth startup previously at Improvada, but he works with government agencies, writes policies, and incredibly articulate and very experienced healthcare executive. So it's going to be an amazing, amazing uh, episode. And uh, also on August 3rd, we're going to have a very special uh, Disrupt TV where we're devoting the entire segment to Thinkers 50 Hall of Fame, best-selling author, and arguably one of the top management uh, business gurus in the world, Tom Peters, will be joining us. And so we're uh, so excited. We're really devoting the entire episode to him. So uh, August 3rd, hopefully you'll we'll tune in and we'll talk about the excellence dividend in his new book. Um, so we got, you know, back-to-back -back weeks of extraordinary content. And right? this is just the summer. It's only yeah. the beginning. So. We take summer off. Like, why don't we get... <laughs> That's what the Aloha shirt's for. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, it's getting crazy. And for those of you, uh, definitely save the date, October 22nd, 25th, if you're coming to Constellation Connected Enterprise. And save December 10th. It's getting hot and heavy. A really, really important date coming up. Uh, it's going to be out here somewhere on the peninsula, maybe the Four Seasons. Hotel Nia. We'll find out. But uh, big event I can't wait for more details, but December 10th, you better lock down your calendar. That's all I have to say. So, <laughs> all right. Well, hey, happy Friday. Anything, any last words on your end, Bala? I'm uh, heading to SEAT Conference. I get to learn from the, uh, all the professional teams across all the major leagues and uh, many of our uh, friends and mentors, Paul Greenberg, Brent Leary, a bunch of folks are going to be there. And we're going to talk about how NBA, MLB, NHL, NFL, soccer, and lacrosse, and all these pro teams are leveraging technology to delight their customers, all with the purpose of you know, improving the customer experience. So it should be a good show. Yeah, and I'll say hi to Christine Stoffel from A, awesome yeah, leader of SEAT. Um, so yeah, and I'll be at the uh, Microsoft event in Seattle, and of course, Google Cloud Platform, Google Next, uh, going on next week. So if you're there, come and say hi. So if it's Friday, it's Disrupt TV. Happy Friday, everyone. See you.